Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. Today, you're going to hear my interview with Lydia Granarid. Lydia, who also now goes by the name of Lydian, is an actress and a musician. She's originally from Nashville. And besides talking about music and art, we talk about gender issues and sexuality issues and what expectations are and what kind of boxes people put us in or the ones we put ourselves in or put others into. We also talk about cotillions and style. I mean, it's a really wide-ranging conversation. I want to let you know also that unfortunately our technology was a little iffy, so it's not the best sound quality compared to other interviews, and I apologize for that, but you should be able to hear and enjoy this, so it's not that big a deal. What is a big deal are Abe's muffins, because they are allergen-free, but they taste amazing. You can eat them, and they're not going to kill you. They will, however, please your palate. So look for them wherever great, uh, healthy, and wonderful-tasting things are available. You can subscribe to this podcast. You can rate this podcast. And, of course, you can write to me and give me ideas of how you want me to proceed, who you'd like me to talk to, and all that kind of jazz. All you have to do is go to... Is that really legal.com? And there's a way to leave a message for me. But right now, put some AIDS moments in your face, sit back, relax, and listen to Lydia Granarud. Lydia Granarud, welcome to Is That Really Legal with Eric Rupin. I'm so glad to have you on today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Um, for people who don't know, we actually don't know each other. We met via Zoom uh, at a baby shower of all things. But um, you, I, I emceed the baby shower, which I've done so much uh, Master of Ceremonies work for Zoom baby showers, more than one, I think, and several, ba- uh, several Zoom weddings that I feel like I've kept my chops in being in front of people. Um, and, yeah, you were uh, very Oh, thanks. But uh, I heard you sing and saw you play, and I was like, I need to have Lydia on. So I wanna start, I have an idea of how I want this to go. I'm, it's gonna start chronologically. So where are you from? I am from Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I was born in Jersey. But uh, I, I always say I'm from Tennessee because I was like six or something when I moved. I'm a Southern girl, mostly. <laughs> I hear the twang, but it's not it's not heavy. But for people who haven't been through the South, Nashville isn't really super twangy. Uh, it really depends. I mean, it's pretty twangy. It's got a, its own dialect if you want to get really specific. But it's definitely the metropolis of, of Tennessee in terms of, of twang central. Right. Now I have, I've been like to Memphis and Knoxville too. And Tennessee is a, it's a big old place with very different cities oh, in my yeah. experience. So oh. did you grow up your entire time till like the end of high school in Nashville? Yeah, I, I lived in, uh, in Nashville my whole life. And then I moved to New York when I was 18 for college. And where, where was college? I went to NYU. 
You went to Tisch. You did. For people who don't know, NYU or New York University has a bunch of colleges within it. And one is Tisch, which is very artsy, as we would say, where I'm from. And uh, what did you study at Tisch? Uh, I was in the drama program. So uh, and that's how I started, because I was in the Atlantic studio at Tisch at NYU. And that's how I met Andy. Right. Right. And that's Andy Schneeflock, who's an actor and an acting teacher. And he's been on the show. You can look him up. If you go to isthatreallylegal.com, you can find all the previous shows and you can also leave me a message if you have an idea of who you'd like to hear me interview or if you just want to tell me how great the show is. Um, <laughs> hopefully. Um, what I, well, I love that you went to drama school and uh, not just music study because I feel like having listened to your music, some of it, and seen your performance on video, it's really clear there's drama in your music, but not, um, it's, it's what I, I would say, it, it makes your music much more alive. It helps you with your storytelling. Uh, do you feel that way? Yeah, thank you. I definitely feel that way. I mean, I grew up around a lot of musicians being in Nashville and um, so much so that I didn't really consider it as like a career path or a path that I should take at first, um, just was sort of part of the culture growing up. But I, I definitely feel that like the way I write is so influenced by theater and reading plays. And all, I think a lot of my writings are beginning, middle and end in terms of like my songs, they have like little narratives going on. Um, and I definitely attribute that to doing a lot of, a lot of theater growing up and, and studying in college. When did you start writing songs? I was 11, I think, when I started writing in songs and playing guitar. Yeah. Um, my mom's a songwriter and my brother's a songwriter. So they were sort of like all around for a long time. I, I'm also a songwriter and guitar player, and I'm a little bit of a guitar nerd. And I noticed that you, at least in the videos that I've seen, you play a, a Martin. Uh, looks mm -hmm. like a Dreadnought, so I don't know what model it is. Is it something you've had for a long time? Yeah, that's my uh, my first guitar that was my own. My brother got it for me uh, when I was probably, I think he got it for me when I was 18. Wow, that's super nice. Super nice. It's a beautiful guitar right now. I mean, for people who don't know, Martin is one of the top three, uh, maybe top five, and some people might think just the top uh, American guitar makers for acoustic guitars. They made a couple of electrics somewhere in the last century, but they are so not known for that. But if you see pretty much any country or rock acoustic playing, I'd say 50% of the time it's a Martin. Totally. And this uh, one is, it's, it's, a, it's got a super warm tone to it. I mean, you pick it up and like it's unfinished and it's the action is so low and it just like has this, warm fusing out of it um which i love and i think it also lends itself to my kind of writing really well right and uh, so people you should check out some of the videos that lydia has um though the video that i checked out that was pretty much a lock for me once i decided to have you one that i was like wow i i'm so glad i'm having you on it's called weekend mm. and it's a highly produced video and it was shot in my backyard 
basically, uh, here in Brooklyn. I mean, I walked there every day where you shot the video. I know exactly where it was, by the carousel and yeah. some other things, by the waterfront. Um, and I, I want to, first, I want to ask you about, since you've been writing since you were 11, you know, when we all start writing, we, we you know, do the I love you, do you love me kind of songs. And then maybe we might write about a dog or a car or whatever, you know, like it's, and, and we're sort of like, what can we write about when we're 11? Like how much heartbreak have we had? How much love, how much aspiration do we have other than like, I'm writing a song, but later I'm going to pretend I'm a fireman or so. It's like, it's not a lot of, uh, you know, it's hard. You, yeah. You don't have the words for it, right? At 11 years old, it doesn't matter what what drama is going on. You're like, I don't have the vocabulary. That's <laughs> the problem. Right, but I already see that you, and I don't know how old you are, and you don't have to tell me, but you've graduated college. So, right, okay. You, um, you, uh, I found that, uh, I found that song, Weekend, to be just a fully formed awesome piece that you would expect from any professional what's the writing process for you what's it like when you do you sit down to write a song do you just like hang out and songs show up I and mean, what would you have a process totally um thank you by the way i mean uh for me the what usually happens is there's a there's a first line it's more of a thought and i i you know have a a, a thought that has a lyric and a melody that is what I'm usually trying to work through at the moment or what's going on in my life. And it's just when I notice it happen, I'll go, oh, and then I'll kind of like sit and think about it or like hum it out in my head for a second. And then I'll sit down with the guitar and just like, you know, follow that, that thought from there. But Weekend, Weekend is interesting that you noted that because it's one of the first songs I wrote that was I think that's the first good song I wrote, you know, I wrote for years and, <laughs> and but it was, the, it's a love song, but it was when I finally came out um, as, as gay, that that was the first song that I had written. And I def, you can 100% hear that all of a sudden I have a whole understanding of myself and writing as a person that is Maybe. not present in anything else. I love that because I, it's interesting. I think that there's a confidence in the song mm -hmm. and that um, there's a line in that song about, I want to be your girl or let me be your girl or something like that. It's done in a way that um, there's an honesty. You're singing to somebody, which is yeah. always a good idea for songwriters, no matter what the song's about. And I, man, I do this one time. Rather than singing to a million people, like if you could find a person to sing this song to, and I think you did, I'm not going to ask about it because it's probably pretty personal. It sounds personal, which makes it great for me because uh, I love love, by the way. I mean, and if you don't love love and you're listening to this, you can turn off the podcast because why are you here? I don't get it. And I'm making, I don't know if I'm making you blush or smile or both, uh, but love, love is a great thing. I mean- yeah. And we're recording this during Pride. So thank you, by the way, just for sharing yourself. Um, but anyway, backing up a second. Uh, yeah, it's just a very honest, open song, but it's not that raw, let me throw my bleeding heart on the floor. It's, you know, I don't feel like I should feel badly for you when I hear this song. I feel like, okay, like this is a person 
being really honest about their feelings. Yeah, I I would say that um, like I was never like a dumb teenager. I mean, I don't say that to like toot my own horn, but I like never, I like was rather zipped up when I was younger. I was very serious. <laughs> I mean, I was funny, but I didn't do things on accident very often. <laughs> and, um, and I, when I, when I look back and hear that song, it's like, yeah, no, I was like, I'd like, I would love to love you, but I really understand if that you're not interested or if you can't do that right now. Like I totally respect your boundaries, like whatever you call me later, I will get around to it. <laughs> I, maybe I think now I'm a little more like reckless than I was when I wrote that song or cocky or well, I don't know. But wow. um, Well, I also love the video. First of all, uh, after I watched the video, I immediately followed um, Ms. Arsenault, who's the director of it or the, you know, the creator of the video, I was like, oh, it's really pretty and beautiful. And I like the way she set you up. I, I also felt like, okay, I don't know how, sometimes when someone comes out and they can be defined because now we, the audience can put them in a box. So it's like, oh, you're the gay singer songwriter. So you're clearly only singing to women and I'm gonna put you like, you're gonna open for the Indigo Girls and like, rather than just let you be whatever shows up, you know? I don't know why I'm getting a little noise, so I apologize for that. But what, what I think is interesting is the video specifically had you interacting with people of various genders. Totally. And I, I really dug that because I actually, couldn't pigeonhole you in the video because you say you want to be somebody's girl, but like, I, and I don't want to put my impression, whatever, like some, some people really want to identify and go through the world. Like, Hey, I'm a lesbian. Don't even think I'm not a lesbian, Absolutely. That, you know? And it's like, they, I, don't, I don't even know what that looks like, except I know what it looks like when I see it. And we all do. I mean, I, I, you know, and yeah. I, yeah. I think that like that uh, in coming out, a lot of queer people find such freedom and liberation and finally getting to name the thing and getting to own that. And like, that's the whole point of pride, right? I am proud to be queer, gay, lesbian, whatever. Um, and I think that maybe the constraints of in what way one identifies as queer is definitely changing and breaking open the, you know, in terms of fluidity. But for me, like coming out was super nonlinear. I didn't, I was not closeted in a way that I knew I was queer. I had no idea um, until I, until I was black, you know, I was 22. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't particularly early. That's after college. Um, and Monica, Monica Arsenault, um, who is the amazing director, producer of that, and Kara Miller, and I, who also uh, produced and set direct, uh, designed that video, all really wanted to make that very apparent because I think that's a huge part of myself and my journey as a queer person and as an artist was just like, oh, it was so, it was so many things. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was not like Lydia's a lesbian now and she gets 
it. She is gonna own it. Like I had, it was, there was a lot of different stages. There's still a lot of different stages. <laughs> I mean, by the end, when you're wearing like a jacket that, yeah. I don't know, there's a look, you're like, oh, okay. I know what bar she's going to now to meet yeah, somebody. Totally. But- Still identify as like bisexual, gender fluidity. You know, I'm super, I, I think I just had no idea for so long that even now that I feel very confident in my identity, I also go, I could be wrong. I, that, there could be new information. There could be new things coming. I was so strong and wrong for so long that now I really try not to, now I try not to make any assertions. That's cool. And you're doing it at a very young age. You know, I'm going to be 60 this year. And when I was, you know, look, I, I had thoughts that I was straight pretty much all my life, except mm -hmm. sometimes I, and I've talked about this on the show, sometimes I was interested in guys or uh, not straight sort of stuff. And I was like, well, maybe there's something wrong with me, shove it aside, whatever. And then ultimately I was like 50 when I was like, I'm enjoying dating guys. It was between marriages. And I was like, so what, what the hell am I? And I ended up talking to a very good friend who said, I know, I, I was like, I'm lost. What am I? They go, oh, that's easy. You're Eric. And in that moment, I was able to not do the label thing. I'm married to a woman. Yeah. We've both had a lot of different experiences. I'm not going to talk about my wife's life unless I'm interviewing her. But totally. you know, we have not had straight lines. I'll just put it that way. Um, yeah. We, uh, I've been in several pride parades, not as a, just as a spectator. So whatever you want to say, I, I feel like it's a better world as a result of not having us all run to our corners, our boxes, whatever. Because, I mean, it, I, I don't know what purpose it serves except to market to us. You know, right. It's like, feel it. Absolutely. Like, hit, hit the nail on the head. I feel that. I mean, I think it really comes down to what is what makes you feel freer. I think some people are really hear, hear a word and feel like, the chain slip off and like, we're like, wow, I've come home to myself. And some people are like, then so, sort of the private knowing is really what is the healing part. And they're both so valid, but that's so amazing. I love, that. I love that for your journey for you. <laughs> Thank you. I, and you know, I'm happy. That's another thing that uh, I just want to, sorry, I'm using you to help clear this up unless you don't want this. There are so many people who, if they hear that someone is not totally straight or totally gay, if they are just queer, you know, like if somebody forced me into a corner and I'd say I'm pansexual under everything that I understand, because I'm kind of, I'm attracted to many different types of people, but I'm yeah. not attracted to everybody all the time. I mean, that would be exhausting, number one. Number two, I'm happily married. So being pansexual does not mean that I must be with everybody. In fact, I made a commitment to just be with my wife and we are in monogamous, in a monogamous relationship. Not everybody married is, whatever. And yeah. people are like, why am I listening to this podcast? We'll get back to it in a second. But, or, but, but don't you find that like, there's this, 
I feel like the hierarchy, and sadly there is a hierarchy in the queer community. It's like at the bottom are trans people, like everybody's dumping on trans people and they're getting murdered and it's a whole other show, the disaster, the way the trans people are treated. But then bi or pan people are tr mistrusted because like lesbians are like, are you just, am I a phase in college and then you're gonna go marry some stockbroker? You know, mm -hmm. are, are gay guys like you're just afraid to be gay because, you know, what? like I, it, it's, it's a very strange situation for a lot of people. Do you feel, have you seen any of that in your short time? Oh, totally. I, you know, by erasure or like having that lack of label or I am everything or I am nothing makes people feel really uncomfortable, not just in queerness, but without those boundaries, you know, it makes people question decisions they've already made for themselves and not everyone is ready to do that. Obviously within the queer community, there's so much trauma and betrayal and that is compounded, that compounds that, right? You're like, it brings up so much for everyone, how they label themselves, that it's so hard to them. We just have, a, I think we as a community have a, a really hard time being gentle with ourselves in general, right? You know, right? Um, say we as human beings. We as human beings, absolutely, absolutely. We as people and humans, definitely, but. But especially people in community where, you know, if you grow up, you know, being told it's less than or it's wrong, you have to hide it. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah and sometimes it's subtle. And sometimes it's just right out there. Oh, totally. And, you know, I I'm, I sometimes make fun of the South and places like Tennessee, but trust yeah. me, it's the North has its own. You could, you know, I think that my mom once told me she would talk about her neighbor's gay son that they adopted kids because she wanted kids. And at that, she wanted grandkids rather. At that point, she didn't care who I was living with. It was just, she needed grandchildren. And she, and it was sort of like, well, I, you know, I'd settle for you being gay. As if that was like, well, you know, you came in third or whatever. Like, I don't understand the thinking. It's like, at least you got a medal and that medal is called a grandchild. It's a very strange thing. And sorry that I had to share my mom on this podcast. That was weird. Uh, let's go back to songwriting and also instruments. Do you, is that your one guitar? Is that? Um, I have an electric guitar as well. That's sort of just like my starter electric guitar. I haven't yet found like a voice as a writer on it. It's an Epiphone. It's cute. It's not like, it doesn't like make my heart sing like my, my Martin does, frankly, but. What kind of Epiphone is it? I don't even know. That's how bad right. I am. It was, it was, it was a, uh, maybe I'll, maybe this will be my new vibe purchase. And it, it has proven to not be so. <laughs> Is it a solid body or a hollow body? Solid body. Gotcha. So for people, just cause like, you don't know who's going to listen. Um, so Epiphone is a uh, a brand that's owned by Gibson, which is another very famous guitar company who makes actually great electric guitars and great acoustic guitars. They're one of the top. And um, Epiphone was played by a lot of people who, frankly, it was just less expensive. Or yeah. was it, uh, you know, but they have some great old Epiphones. Like, you know, 
uh, the Beatles played Epiphones uh, a lot in the early years. And then John took the finish off of his and um, he ended up, that's the guitar he played mainly on like the Let It Be Up on the Roof concert. And so Epiphones are great, but if it's not your vibe, I, I get it. It's, it's so hard. I think what's amazing about guitars is it's a little like, and it's weird to reference Harry Potter after everything we just talked about because of all the sad, effed up history of the author and the trans community. And I'm sorry, but just hear me out. It just makes a good metaphor. When uh, somebody goes in to get their wand, as I understand it, and forgive me, I never read the books, I just saw the movies. Um, the wand chooses them, if I'm not mistaken. And um, yeah. I feel like, I feel like, what's that? Yeah, dude, the wand chooses you, man. <laughs> I feel like the guitar chooses us. Like you pick them up and you play yeah. them. And some are like, this might be a great guitar, but this is not my guitar. Yeah. And you can go a long time playing lots of different ones. It's just really sad when the guitar that you know is yours is also, you know, $20,000. <laughs> oh my God, absolutely tragic it is so cruel of the world that my guitar is twenty thousand dollars uh, there is a martin 12 string out in the world that i played once that i knew was mine but I, it, it was a ridiculously priced guitar but it sounded like an orchestra when i played it it's like <sighs> those 12 string martins have a sound that i can't explain to a non-guitar player uh, that's gorgeous yeah, I'm still working on it. I'm like working with it. There is a part of me that thinks, because I'm super self-taught in terms of all the music that I, instruments that I play. I cannot read music. I play by ear. I like super just learned by osmosis. And that is great in a lot of ways, but is somewhat, has been somewhat limiting in others. And I think I just need to like click into, I don't know, just like really, really like, hunkering down and practicing in a way that I'm not particularly used to <laughs> to make to make this the electric vibe work for me I have to like do some math in my head <laughs> well you also I think you know being uh just out of school living in New York City about to come or starting to come out of the pandemic and getting a real sense of who you are I could see how not playing guitar 18 hours a day you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you might have other priorities, which makes me want to know what what artistic. I, I feel like you do lots of things. I could be wrong, but are you doing other writing? Are you acting? Like, what's happening in the rest of your artistic world besides music? Um, I'm doing a lot of writing. Uh, I'm trying to do some more acting. I was in a commercial that came out uh, like a week ago, which was really great. Um, Congratulations. Then, what was it a commercial for? Can so we know? Yeah, Procter & Gamble did a queer This Is Love um, commercial um, directed by Hannah Barnett. It was amazing. And I just got to stumble onto it because of a friend of mine who asked me to bring get in there. And it was just such a lovely experience to be on set and be in that kind of environment again. Um, but as far as other artistic things, I'm writing a lot. I'm writing a musical right now. That's kind of what I'm working on slowly but surely. That's yeah. awesome. Well, I hope you'll, uh, during the process, you'll share it with me personally and with 
me also as the podcast so the audience can get to follow along. Oh, heck yeah, I would love to. Cool. Um, can we know what the musical is going to be about? Yes. Uh, it's very on theme with our conversation this far. It's about the South and queerness and, um, yeah, and how, how religion and addiction things can really weave through that narrative. A wow. story, a tale as old as time, really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait, we can't do too much of that because we don't want yeah. lawyers from you-know-who to get upset with us, oh, but... Right. Yeah, that's that a, even <laughs> is that yeah oh we'll find out and we won't enjoy it uh but i feel like what came up for me is like there's so many great southern gay writers and i feel like the south if it embraced its gay community they would either like ha it would be amazing or maybe they would ruin the writing <laughs> you know like would Tennessee Williams write all that great stuff if he was like yeah I'm gay it's not a problem <laughs> right right <laughs> does the art or the, the trauma begat one another the chicken or the egg we don't know um, I mean I don't think you have to suffer for your art yeah. but uh, you don't seem like you're suffering and I enjoy what you're doing I'm not suffering and I'm enjoying my writing more than ever so I I don't want people to think like you know it's got to be a struggle or you know there's some sort of toxic narrative that we've been taught it doesn't hurt to have you know a backstory but <laughs> oh and by the way being human means not always getting what you think you should have oh well, yeah for sure. whether it's a person or a sandwich or an ice cream cone or an apartment or whatever it is i've got a lot of great songs about some sandwiches i didn't get <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, you know, I would write more about ice cream, but that's just me. Yeah. I, 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 I've joked around that when uh, my second marriage, I'm on my third and final marriage. Uh, when my second marriage fell apart, I ended up having a lot of threesomes with Ben and Jerry. Ah! Was, <laughs> so Eric. Uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the kind of, <laughs> there was still crying at the end. Yeah. So I, yeah it's just like you know, no one ever feels good after that i don't think sorry but if ben and jerry's thinks it would be great to sponsor this show or just send me ice cream they can go to is that really legal.com and leave me a message i'm happy to i went to their factory in vermont it was awesome um anyway <laughs> um are you living in the city right now yes i am i'm in brooklyn I'm in oh Michigan. Oh, you're in the cool and trendy part. I've only been to Bushwick a little bit. I think they card you, and if you're over a certain age, you're not allowed to stay past a certain hour. That's Bushwick. Williamsburg used to have those rules. They lightened up when Bushwick and uh, and Green Greenpoint got a little cooler. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Bushwick took over. Williamsburg is like the Soho of Brooklyn now. You know, it's just like families with with room for dogs. <laughs> yeah, and if you didn't buy last century, there's no way you're buying now. Oh, absolutely not. I'm fortunate my wife bought here. Uh, I'm I'm sort of uh, near Carroll Gardens, uh, Cobble Hill, whatever, and just forget it. <laughs> it's insanity. Not I don't know how people afford these things. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I have movie star neighbors, literally, like, People I see are movie stars. It's insanity. I love it. 
Love that part. I don't have any movies for our neighbors in, in Bushwick, but we are yeah. all we're in we're in our own <laughs> film. <laughs> You're going to be the movie stars of you know the end of this decade, perhaps. Heck yeah, that's what we're manifesting. We're manifesting. So, what else gets to say? Oh, I used to live next door to Lydia when she was super broke. <laughs> right, right. But I knew I knew she was going to be a star. Exactly, exactly, Eric. That's the vibe. <laughs> so who are your influences for music? Mm. This question, I'm always like, I music influences for me, it starts mostly with church, frankly. Um, I, growing up, I grew up in a super evangelical Christian community and church like we had Bible class and chapel on Wednesdays during school and then young life at Wednesday night and then church on Sunday. And boy, did I ever, boy, did everyone sing and sing well, like Nashville church is you, people are jamming in Nashville church. Um, and that's probably number one in terms of where I get my sound probably. But then I also, my mom, was very, it's very Joni Mitchell and Carol King and Harley Simon and Bob Dylan and actually Elvis Presley. I listened to Elvis Presley on repeat for until I was like 15. Was have like you been, of, have you been to Graceland? Oh yeah. I have a very embarrassing collection of the cards that you get from going to Graceland that I got at a flea market. Be not, be not embarrassed. <laughs> One of the yeah. greatest things I ever did. So I used to tour the country uh, for showbiz reasons. And one of the best things I ever did, and I hit all of like the ball of string museums off of I-70 or whatever. But one of the greatest things I ever did was when my friends went and, and we all went to Graceland. And I had an idea of who Elvis was, but you don't really know Elvis unless you go to Graceland. And it's both, it's both, it's a lot of things. It's awe-inspiring. It's sad. It's beautiful. It's um, it's a a time machine. Yeah. I mean, don't. What do you think? Oh yeah. I mean, it's like I think it's both. Uh, yeah. It's it's an amazing sort of time capsule of what it what it would look like for someone to just absolutely fully express decadence externally is what Graceland is. But it's also such a, I think that knowing, like my, my grandma's from Mississippi and like I sort of know um, where Elvis is from in Mississippi as well. And- Tupelo. Tupelo, right. And so like the difference between that and then where, what he ended up at, like with Graceland, I think is is the most telling like, trajectory of it all, right? He's like, no, nah, I'm gonna go full out. I'm gonna take whatever I started with and just prove everybody wrong, right? Well, and for sure, you know, like the Jungle Room, which is one of the famous places to see, is like there's lots of TVs built into a wall, and there's like carpeted walls, and it's like leopard skin, whatever. <laughs> but but what struck me was this thing called the trophy room, which is not a room, ladies and gentlemen, it is like a, it's like a tractor trailer 
you walk in and it is nothing but gold records yeah. on a wall. But like the amount of gold records is startling. It's just, it doesn't end. And you, whatever you think about Elvis, you have to have an appreciation for the impact he had on show business because he was just a force. He was yeah, just a yeah, force. Totally. totally. Uh, and then the early, like, of course, everybody loved, I think everybody loves that early Elvis stuff, you know, um, Blue Moon of Kentucky and, you know, Jailhouse Rock. I don't have it anymore. It was lost in a divorce. <laughs> but I got a, I bought a little Elvis, like a Jailhouse Rock Elvis stylized uh, pose kind of guy that's on the end of a chain that you put on a pole. So when you turn on a light, you pull on Elvis and then he just kind of moves a little after you've pulled him. And yeah. so it looks like he's rocking. Uh, I, yeah, and in Memphis, like I grew up in a place food was very different. We didn't have barbecue. That smell, that, and, and a very different sense of community than it sounds like you grew up with. Um, do you get any good barbecue up here north? We really would like to know where the good barbecue places are. Have you smoked <laughs> them out? No, I really haven't. I wasn't much of a barbecue girl. Memphis is super known for barbecue. Nashville has more like, they've got like Nashville hot chicken. And they've got like, I grew up going a lot of meat and threes. I don't know if you don't know what a meat and three is, but. Um, no, what I assume it's a meat and three sides, but. Yeah, it's a meat and three sides. It's like kind of like a cafeteria style thing where you pick a meat and you pick three sides and you go sit together on a table that's got sort of like a checkerboard thing going on <laughs> um that was something we did for a while but it's interesting because i identify as rather southern growing up there but my father is from sweden and my mother is from new jersey so like i have and then we then we grew up in tennessee so it's like this weird combo of eclectic cultures that i grew up with happening yeah, so is there any Swedish spoken at home? Um, I speak a little Swedish. Uh, my dad didn't speak a whole lot growing up. I mean, I, all my family members would speak together and I can understand like the majority of a conversation in Swedish, but um, but I don't like speak fluently by any means. It's hard to, it, there's no one to speak Swedish to in Tennessee. So <laughs> there was- I have to go to like Minnesota. Saying, right. <laughs> or Sweden you know but you're not right. going to go to Uppsala a lot you know yeah. especially not in the pandemic no I mean we went we definitely went growing up a, a good a, a number of times to visit family and things but not quite enough for it to really stick yet yeah where in Sweden did you go to visit Stockholm Stockholm and my dad is from northern more northern Sweden, Robertsfors and um, Hogfors, but I mostly just do Stockholm and then that area. Um, I love that area. I mean, not quite so north because I don't like to freeze every part of my body, but I've been to uh, Copenhagen and then it seems south by comparison, but Hamburg in Germany oh, yeah. feels a lot like Brooklyn. Yeah. Me. Berlin is like, it feels so much like New York to me. Yes, I like Berlin also. Berlin is New York with a terrifying history. 
Yeah, it feels more mature because it's more integrated, you know? They, un they understand their history. So it's like, there's so much trauma, but it's more like there's reverence for it. Whereas New York is like the, the younger brother who's like, ah, nothing bad happens here in America, right? Like we don't have the same sense of maturity and integration in terms of what has gone wrong in our country. That's cool. I like that you have uh, references for, you know, traveling. I feel like everyone should travel. And okay. like, and because you learn so much, if you just live in America, you have no idea what the world is like. Would, would you agree with that statement? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Not even a little bit. Like something that specifically, like, you know, asking, asking, what do you do? All as the first inner, like question is such such an American thing. Like like what do you do? What do you do for work? It's like everyone's first question. It's very personal to do that in Europe. They're a little offended if that's no, the like, first like, question. Like why are you asking me that question? Right? Because it's not as much about you know money and, and work being your whole life, or just that the way you you experience like time. Like I lived and studied abroad in. Madrid for a while and I was like oh no one's in a rush no one's in a rush anywhere I was just in Madrid right before the pandemic hit yeah and I was like what do you mean everything's closed for a couple of hours in the middle of the day yeah. how do you how do you live and they're like the they answer is we live great yeah. <laughs> you don't actually need that you don't need it right now. You need it. You can get it later. It's what fine. you should do is go home, have a little of the most amazing ham you've ever had, yeah. some very simple red wine, kick your feet up, watch a soccer game, fall asleep, and then, you know, go to dinner at nine. Yeah. <laughs> what? Come back later. It's fine. I, I really, uh, first, yeah. So I, I do want to talk about this because I have a lot of European friends yeah. and um, mostly from Germany and Switzerland, although some from the UK. And my, my experience of my German and Swiss friends is that for, uh, compared to me, like growing up, we have this thing like you should strive to be a millionaire. Like somehow that is a goal that Americans should have. I know Swiss people who own businesses and I know some who are musicians they seem to be no different with how they live. Except maybe one has a bigger house that they own and one has an apartment they rent. But like, even the person who rents the apartment, they love their apartment. It's, they have two bikes. That's their luxury. They have a bike that they take from their apartment to the train. Yeah. The train goes into town and then they have a city, not a city bike, like New York City bike. They own their bike that's more of a city oriented bike that they keep locked up at the station. And then they just take that to their studio or their workplace. And that's how they live their life. And it's totally their city, which in that case is Basel, Switzerland, is very bike friendly. Copenhagen, very bike friendly. They have like a bike highway, like it's just for bikes. Um, uh, Hamburg, really bike friendly. Um, and I just feel like, like you're saying, nobody talks about what they do as much. People dress like comfortably, but well, and I just, nobody worries about getting sick the way that Americans are like, oh shit, do I have enough health insurance? 
like the lie of the whole health insurance thing, like, oh no, it's very bad. The Europeans, you have to wait for years to get an appointment or whatever. Like I have a friend in Winnipeg. I have a friend in uh, uh, Newfoundland. You know, the Canadian thing is like really great. And all the Europeans, it's really great. Like it's shocking. People are lying to us about money. You know, it's just, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm, what's that? Oh, I just said, I'm just agreeing. I said, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, sweet. <laughs> like, are, are, are you, I don't know why I'm so outraged. I think that I bought into a lot of the stories and I didn't travel until later in life. And there was like, wow, like these German cities have really nice architecture. They have like the best doors and electricity and like everything's really nice. The subways are nice. Madrid subways are some of the nicest subways I've ever been in. Super clean, super quiet, super safe. Like, I don't, I don't understand how they can do it. Oh, they tax people. That's how they do it. Right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're like, in America, like, well, we want, we want the money and we want to keep it and we don't want anyone else to use it. Just exorbitant amounts. Um, I, I don't have anything further to add to that except for uh, affirmations, essentially. I'm like, yeah, we're nuts. It just keeps getting crazier the older I get. The more I'm like, wow, we're just so disconnected. Well, I feel like we could be friends because I appreciate your art and you are just saying yes to everything I'm saying. That is a <laughs> perfect friendship. I appreciate that with you. Um, but by the way, if people want to hear your music or follow you in any social media, you have two Twitter accounts that you never use. <laughs> so I was like, what? You only have two followers. How is that possible? You last tweeted in 1935. Okay, that's not it. Uh, so so how do people find out about you and what you're up to? Yeah, I did a re... Uh, uh, that mostly is because I have like a rebrand or whatever. Um, I, I changed my artist name to Lydian, L-Y-D-I-A-N. Um for the same reason that as our conversation before this 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 call started which was that no one can pronounce my last name uh and it's not it's just not particularly it doesn't it doesn't quite i doesn't quite work so that's why i have the new music thing but people can find me at lydian l-y-d-i-a-n uh, music with an underscore at the end on Instagram. And then I'm also under Lydian on Spotify and iTunes and Bandcamp, um, all of the things. And then my personal Instagram is Lydia Granary. L-Y-G-R-A-N-E-R-E-D, which is also where I post a lot of things. I just have more, more people over there, but we're working on it. It's a process. <laughs> So I'm going to, I'm going to go back to the queer stuff a little bit, if I may, and ask now that you're out, yeah. are you, are you in a relationship? Are you okay talking about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I am not in a relationship. I am a single human. <laughs> are you doing the dating thing? Oh, I don't know. Sort of. <laughs> I, okay. The lawyer in me is like, ma'am. It's a simple question. It's a yes or no question. <laughs> you're either dating or you're not dating. This um, sort of I, dating is very funny to me. 
I'm doing a lot of like flirting. I don't know if I'm dating though, right? I'm but like, like you, you randomly chatting up baristas, hoping that they'll notice you and spell your name right. And... Totally. I am such an, I am a terrible flirt. I, I flirt with everyone. I go <laughs> like, um, so I'm doing a lot of that and like party things are happening again. It is pride. I would like to, <laughs> so it's really my time to shine overall. But so you so you end up on some rooftops in Brooklyn and oh, maybe geez. next to another lady and somebody slips a phone number to somebody else or maybe yeah. you're like, oh, you like red wine too. That's amazing. And then maybe on your way out, there's like a little extra squeeze. There might be a kiss that lasts longer than just a nice to see you. Like, but let's get tawdry for the podcast. Come on, is that what we're talking about? That's my vibe. That's my vibe. I'm not really looking for a relationship. I have a tendency to commit myself too soon. So I'm being very intentional about that. Well, that's the stereotype. You yeah. Know. But it it is... I just want to say, as a cis white guy, I'm not allowed to make those kind of jokes, but you can. So yeah. feel free. I absolutely have gotten, have have not. Also, it's because I came out so late. I'm literally like, I didn't date anyone till I was 22. Not, not, I'm so sorry, not so late, but like. Yeah, by the way, I'm 59. Your, your intimate story about coming out in your 50s. I'm so, that was like not fair. But I like didn't date anyone. And so I feel like I'm ultimately, I'm like in my late teens in terms of like where where I'm at, my maturity, my relationships sometimes. So I'm like, oh, maybe you should just hang out, Lydia. Maybe you should just be with yourself for a second. And that well, I, is what you're doing. I think having <laughs> fun is underrated. Uh, yeah. So I'm a fan of fun. You just want to dance? Is that what you said? Dance. I just want to dance and flirt. And that's where I'm at. <laughs> well, you know, you live in New York City, which is yeah. a very, it's like the capital of dancing and flirting once the pandemic is really over. Oh, exactly. uh, and um, there's, you know, <laughs> yeah. And, and when I was between marriages, <laughs> I, I dated and it's a great thing to meet lots of people because, you know, you uh, and I had this. So, my, um, you know, Andy and Leah, and we met because we were doing seminars with these people, Ariel and Shia, about, you know, living in the moment. And one of, we talk about dating uh, sometimes in those seminars, and they had this idea that you should try people on. Like, you know, don't, you know, just and also when you're with someone. Like, okay, they may be hot or they may not fit your pictures of what you thought a partner should be or whether it's a partner for an hour, a yeah. day, a century, whatever. But also, how do you feel when you're around that person? One of the reasons I'm married to my wife, Holly, is because after dating or during dating lots of people, she's the person I feel funniest with, smartest with, and other things we don't need to go into. I just, like, the, I was so at my highest levels of me when I was with her. You know, sometimes you're with someone and you're like, regardless of how old they are, you feel old. Like, why am I feel, I feel stupid around this person. Mm. I feel like I have so much attention on me when I'm with this person. It's just like, so I don't know if you've had these experiences. You may. Um, that's why it's so cool to try different people on 
know that sounds a little weird. You're not like literally trying them on unless that's another <laughs> podcast involving intimacy that we're not going to get into here. Yeah, no, I'm definitely feeling it out. I'm having a good time being uh, and mostly focusing on on me as a person and writing and my art and sort of trying to really like let that sink in. I think especially after the pandemic, it was sort of like we had so much time to really reorient and change perspectives on on what's important and where where our just emerged all the weak spots and I was like oh okay let's sit let's sit with with this for a, a little while longer before we reemerge into society I already did cotillion I already had I already had so many coming outs <laughs> oh my god that is couldn't be a more alien thing to someone like me who's a Jewish white guy, you know, growing up in Long Island. Cotillion was something that was in the movies. Yeah. That's the only way I would know about it. Can you just explain to the listeners what Cotillion is? Because I, I, I think I know, but. Oh, yes. Well, Cotillion is, you know, finishing school for young, young people. Or it's like a, it's just, it's manners academy. So you're, I think we start in like seventh grade and you have to wear, you know, it's very gendered and very heteronormative and whatever. And you ladies have to wear ankle length skirts or dresses and white gloves. And gentlemen have to wear collared shirts and slacks and you learn how to answer the phone properly. And you learn how to shake someone's hand with, a firm but not aggressive grip. And you learn how to not lean forward to pick up the salt at the table. And you learn how to foxtrot and, <laughs> and a lot of, and, and ballroom dance. And what else do you learn there? Oh, it's What's funny fun. is that it's, it's supposed to be so in a way taking, I think it might have the opposite effect that it means because I could see how some people can make it into a kink <laughs> <laughs> honestly maybe uh, it was it was like really it was kind of awesome in a lot of ways I really enjoyed it but then it's also it's so I don't know it's so antiquated and anachronistic but and traditional but yeah, it's fun I guess I, it was sweet in some ways but I don't know do you wear dresses did I wear dresses? No, do you now? Do I now? That's a good question. Not particularly. Because I, I get the vibe that you're like, you just like to wear slacks. Yeah, I'm more of a pants kind of kid. Um, <laughs> I That's like a journey that I'm on personally. I, I think that coming out and getting to claim my masculinity and my strength and chop my hair off and you know wear whatever clothing fits my body and feels good was super empowering and now I get to have like the fun more nuanced experience of being like oh where does my femininity lie that I like that feels authentic because a lot of people I you know I get I get misgendered a lot I get called like he him I get called sir and oh. my pronouns are she her but but you know I do feel like very in the middle fluidy and whatever so I was like, okay, if I'm feeling kind of off with people seeing 
only my masculinity, what, where is that coming from? Like, where does the balance lie for me? So while I don't wear dresses, mostly because they just like, don't feel good. I do, I do like to play around with like what gender my um, expression I have, which is like usually kind of a mix. You know, it's interesting because we're both actors too. We can, yeah, totally. we can look at it like it's all costume. Yeah, there's definitely, you can, you know, you pick and choose and what, and things feel, feel good and things feel, don't feel good. Like I remember in acting school, they used to say, um, you know, you used to, you wear your shoes, right? You wear only your shoes a lot of the time because it affects everything else. Um, if you're wearing a heel, it changes your whole step. If you're wearing a thick shoe, it changes everything. So you're wearing regular street clothes and then your correct shoes. And I think that is a really strong metaphor for the way that clothing can affect your whole being. Oh yeah, right. actors actors spend money on, for people who don't know this, on what's called character shoes. Yeah. And um, I think Capizio makes a ton of them, but they're not street shoes. They're shoes you wear on stage and they're very specific, like you're talking about. Also, I find interesting, um, for me as an actor, so much of my character, uh, I, I'd love to say it was all very cerebral, but sometimes it would only really come together when the costume came on because it makes your body move a certain way. You feel a certain way. People, You see other people in similar costumes. It just creates a reality that um, is visceral. Uh, additionally, um, if you saw me, you'd know that I identify, I mean, I look like a straight white guy, pretty Jewy, pretty New York. Um, and I tend to, you know, wear jeans or slacks or shorts with a shirt. That's kind of my thing. Uh, but I have a friend who is a world-class award-winning costumer who once uh, said, you, I should make you a skirt. And I was like, I'm not going to be wearing a skirt. Thank you. And my wife was like, that's really cool you should definitely let Caitlin make you a skirt. And I was like, my mind like just completely short-circuited because regardless of all the other stuff I said before about who I might or might not date, the notion of something as simple as wearing a skirt. Now, like we, you know, it's incredible how powerful these things are because it's just a different piece of fabric. It's, yeah, it, <laughs> it's, it's just, you know, it's a, it's well-designed fabric. And there are guys who wear skirts in like seriously dude, dude guys on GQ, or, you know, they, they will occasionally throw some kind of man skirt out there. It's becoming, it's hardly the norm, but it's starting to, you know, in the same way that there's starting to be makeup for men, they're starting to stretch some boundaries. Well, I, mean, I talk about like like an American thing, right? Like the like a what we call a dress and a skirt is often masculine, you know, clothing in other cultures, right? Or Scottish, you know, boom, right? Or makeup, even you know, like all 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 of that. We we have just, which to go back to your point earlier, have been separated in order to be marketed to <laughs> and yeah I, I I'm really hopeful about a lot of the you know de-gendering uh, fashion and 
hopefully, you know, decolonizing fashion and all of all of that, that that bits of progress that seem to be like poking through rather slowly, but but poking, you know, especially in the most recent years. So it's exciting. But you're so right. Like you're like, why did the notion of a skirt blow your mind? Right? It's just a skirt. It's just pants. It's like why? <laughs> and I want to be really clear that my friend Caitlin and my wife Holly were not messing with me. Yeah. This was not like to why would play you like like they were like, oh no, this I think you'd look cool. Like my wife loves my legs, you know, like not to be yeah. so boastful, but like I, I, I like, okay, that's great. But but like <laughs> even while I'm talking to you, there's a I'm like talking to you intellectually about it, but there's a little part of me like, this is never gonna happen. Just no, we're never gonna do this. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that you didn't get a chance to talk about? Um, no, thanks for, for having me on. Let me talk about my songwriting and queerness and all of the good stuff, though. Um, I think you mostly hit the main points. Cool. Well, I really enjoyed speaking to you. I, I love your songs, What I've the few I've gotten to hear. Thank you so much for being on Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great time. Well, there you have it. Another fabulous interview on this wonderful show. Remember, you can subscribe to the show. You probably got it from one of the many services that you can get podcasts on. It's available on all of them. You can rate it. Um, it's already been rated a bunch, which I'm very excited about. Five stars, baby. It helps other people find this. So thank you for that. Um, we have some more really cool people that I'll be interviewing, but feel free to reach me at isthatreallylegal.com to let me know who you think should be on this show who hasn't. Um, and um, keep eating Abe's muffins and keep participating in our democracy. It's important. Contact your elected officials, wear a mask, get vaccinated. Science matters. Freedom matters. Look around you. Everybody deserves to be safe and happy. And um, let's see what we can do to ensure that that is available for everyone. So thank you so much for listening and we will see you soon.